Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Fans in Motion podcast, the only podcast that I like to say you didn't know you needed. I say to my friend Josh, looking back at me, wait until tomorrow. Let time pass away. Don't wait until tomorrow because wasting time will never get you made. Say hello, Josh. Yo, 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 yo. What's up, homies and homets out there in the Night Ranger world? Do we have a very special episode for you? this week yes and that was not a night ranger lyric um josh i mean if you want me to give the scoop on who that was from all right so this week we are talking to the one and only mr john nyman from ynt one of the uh, great rock groups from the bay area besides night ranger um so John kind of falls into the Night Ranger world. Let's just do currently because he has a new record out called Made in America. And there's a All song right. on there called Fly Angel Fly that Brad Gillis is on. And now I'm a big Y&T fan. If you watch the uh, podcast, you know, I'm not talking out of school or anything. It's uh, <laughs> widely known. Um, and uh, so I'm a, you know, Dave Minichetti, John Nyman fan to begin with. Uh, but when I saw Brad was on there, I was like, well, I'll get it. And we got something to talk about on the podcast. Got the record, and I was blown away by how good this was. Nice. Uh, just good written songs. If listen to this podcast. There's a lot of stuff that we talk about, but uh, you will see me just rave again and again about how good this record is, because it is. Um is it melodic rock type? Is it in that same vein of Y&T and Night Ranger, or is it? No. Is he really on his own here? He he's a little bit. He's a little. It's he, it's a little bit everywhere, which is sometimes not good. But this is. I mean, Happy's got a whole horn section. Made is just a good like, just rock song. Uh, That's where I lifted that lyric from. By the way, That's Made. Yep. Give Love Back is just just a good up tempo rock song losing track is like bluesy there's a real big pop song and uh uh fall in love see you in heaven is a good i mean i find myself singing these songs and i've had this for a while and i haven't really talked about it because i've been working on getting right john on the podcast and um then you know if you know anything about what's going on the ynt world dave manichetti having cancer and going through it um and he's on the men now but that's kind of you know, put some stuff back. So we've been talking for a few months to do this. Um, and, uh, but anyway, so he's on this new record. Brad Gillis says, plays some of the solo. Now he goes back all the way back to the seventies of the Bay area scene. Um, and we're going to get into that. So while Rubicon is playing, he's playing in a band called mile high Okay. Eric Martin from Mr. Big is in a band called Kid Courage. They know each other, decide, hey, let's form a band together. They form a band called 415, which eventually becomes the Eric Martin band. Ah. All right. And he'll tell you the whole reason why Journey's manager is involved and everything. It's a really cool story. But you get to see, he tells the story about how, you know, Rubicon, then Ranger, Night Ranger, and 415 and Eric Martin band, they're coming up together. Yeah. And, you know, we're playing the same clubs and we see each other all the time. And you got a record deal? Yeah, we got a record deal. And everything's 
you know, building up together and one album takes off, one doesn't. And he talks about, you know, wow, I'm on American Bandstand and all this stuff to, you know, a short time later, the, uh, um, you know, the band gets dropped and he has to go through this. And it really parallels David Lauser, drummer for Sammy Hagar's story, because he gets if you if you guys remember the Lauser story when Sammy Hagar gets back gets with Van Halen suddenly Lauser's without a job and remember he becomes electrician has really good money and he's like I gotta stop this or I'll never get back into music John has the same thing and you know what's really funny is the whole Sammy Hagar getting with Van Halen comes around because the person he teams up with was the bass player Bill Church from okay. Sammy's band so they get together something happens outside of the music world with bill church he's like hey will you help me with this and john's like i have no clue anything about that and but john helps him and john has made that into his second second really his first career it's really cool story um but it, it shows you these ups and downs and and yeah um in the music world to where he gave up guitar for some time and then you know his buddy eric martin calls him like hey come on tour with me or you know and then y and t he went to high school with the y and t guys so he's got this whole story and i'm going to split it up into two parts um so you'll get um you know some of the bay area scenes he saw rubicon so he tells you like his first He's got time some stories. seeing Jack Blades and Brad Gillis, you know, in Rubicon, um, he'll talk about, you know, Night Ranger and them kind of coming up together. And if you remember, there's this YouTube clip from them in San Francisco, Night Ranger, like 1984. And it's before they go on stage. So it's like one of these rare interviews from 1984. Uh, Jeff Watson, Brad Gillis, and I think Jack. But also part of that is Eric Martin bands opening up. So if you we'll post that clip, but you got Eric Martin and John Nyman um, in that as well. So, uh, so yeah, you got John Nyman's past with Rubicon Night Ranger, and then for the really the last almost twenty years, he's been the guitarist for Y and T. Which, um, if you've never been, you know, gotten into Y and T, you're missing out. Um, just go listen to Mean Streak, Midnight in Tokyo, um, and Dave Minichetti. I've always yeah. said I would love to see Y&T and Night Ranger perform because of these two classic groups that are still on top. Uh, yeah. You know, Y&T just still on top. Sounds good. Night Ranger still on top. Sounds good. Um, so, yeah, it was a really great interview. I highly suggest um, get this, uh, get the CD or the vinyl. He just got the vinyl and I or- already ordered me a copy. Uh and cassette um wow cassette yep i'm telling you i mean if you just like good writing and lyrics like you guys know i'm not a big lyric guy the lyrics are good they're you know i mean it's just like i find myself reading like man it's like you know it's all it's just on top of how good how well written the songs are so uh without further ado Here's part one of uh, John Nyman from YNT.
Welcome to another episode of Fans of Motion, the Ultimate Night Ranger podcast. And as my buddy Andy would say, the podcast you didn't know you needed. On the uh, in the bullpen here with me is the uh, the one and only uh, gentleman and a scholar, Mister John Nyman from YNT, and he's going to take us back a little bit into the 1970s, early 80s to the Bay Area probably you know some nice is there beaches in san francisco i've never been yeah there's beaches uh, all right it's awfully cold all right well never <laughs> mind so driving you know driving the hot rods listening to the loud music and uh going out at night and seeing some rubicon i think and he's going to tell us some stories there and uh we're just going to talk uh talk about all kinds of 1970s and early 80s uh uh bay area stuff so john now were you born and raised in california where where does your story start i was uh, born in oakland california and uh lived in the bay area all my life you know not now mm -hmm. <laughs> i moved away but but yeah i lived there up until about five years ago all in and around san francisco bay area up in marin county and down in into san jose even so, so were you Raiders or 49ers? Well, you know, I've never been a big sports guy. I mean, I, I, I'm just going to tell you, I'm Oakland A's and 49ers. All right. Uh, Which is... I mean, I don't know why. Uh, the only reason when we were, you know, just fast forward into the 80s when 415 Eric Martin Band was with the journey, you know, under the Herbie Herbert umbrella. Herbie Herbert was the biggest 49er fan, right? you know, during that dream era, you know, when the 40, when Joe Montana just got mm -hmm. in. And so his whole office was decorated with 49er stuff, you know, he was like the biggest cheerleader for the 49ers. He was always going. So I got swept up into being like, if you're not a 49er <laughs> fan, you're not allowed in the office, you know, kind of thing. So <laughs> You know, what's funny is Brad is the exact opposite of you to where he is the Raiders and well, the, yeah, he's Alameda, you yeah, know, Raiders and the Giants. So, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, so he, it's he's got those uh, uh, reverse. So, you know, you're growing up in California, life's good. How does that musical interest start? Uh, was you in school and playing in the band? Did you have an older brother? You know, had an electric guitar. How does all that start off with you? Well, my my older brother had a play guitar and had a band and he used to practice at the house, you know, like jamming in the front room. And I was six years old, seven years old watching all this. And uh, I wanted to be a drummer, to tell you the truth. You know, I used to sit there next to his drummer with a magazine and, and a couple of pencils and pretend it was a snare drum. And and. You know, when I got to be about 10 years old, I asked my mom, could I, if I could get a drum set? She says, that's never going to happen. So just forget about it. There's not going to be drums in this house. So play guitar like your brother. <laughs> so I did. And so I'm glad I did because, you know, I, I have a drum set now and I do play drums on the side. <laughs> but I, I'm glad I became a guitar player. And so my brother got me started. And his band, I know you'd, we, you'd mentioned you knew who Mile High was, my mm -hmm. first band. 
that was the name of actually my brother's band. He, uh, him and his buddies were sitting around smoking a joint and watching a, a game from Denver from Mile High Stadium. And they thought, Mile High, man, that's a cool name. We should name our band that. So <laughs> it was Mile High H-I. Um, and we, as that band disintegrated, he asked me to join the band with a couple of my younger friends. And then he left the band and we kept the name. And that's how that all started. We started writing our own songs and away we went. So my brother had was my biggest influence. And, and uh, I'd actually, my album is dedicated, my solo album, Made in America, is dedicated to my brother Bjorn. Yeah, I saw, I was, I, I saw that. Uh, um, so, uh, so where the name, his name is it pronounced Bjorn. that for him? It's Bjorn. All right, because I'm going to do like the, so, uh, what family history like where does that name come from because that's a lot different than john yeah well my my parents or you know my my mom and dad and my two oldest brothers were born in norway and um so my i'm 100 norwegian and my whole family's from there and and uh, my dad was a merchant seaman and his father was also and back in the during World War II, my grandfather's ship was torpedoed by the Germans outside of New York, and he got, you know, the ship sunk, and they saved the guys, and they, he made it there, and he he made it out to Minnesota where he had a cousin or something, because he couldn't get a ship, you know, was, you know yeah. World War II, and she said, you should go out to California, because there's big shipping out there. They got, you know, San Francisco, and he's like, okay, so he got on a train, and he made it out there. And he fell in love with the Bay Area and he bought a house in Oakland. And then he wrote a letter to my father and said, you need to transplant your family over here. This is the place you want to be, California. You know, it's like, this is the rain perfect, <laughs> you know. And so thank God that happened. <laughs> so I ended up in California. But, so you're, so you're... Well, my, my father's name is Sigvald. My mother's name is Elsa. And then we got Rolf and Bjorn. And then my parents move over here and Alice and John are born in Oakland. <laughs> Can't get any more so the American sounding than that. <laughs> so the California life starts with a shipwreck. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Basically. Uh, um, when, when I see, you know, Bjorn, I, autom you know, I automatically think of ABBA. And that's yeah, why exactly. I was why I was like, all right, so there, there's, you know, I think what they're Swedish or something. So uh, yeah, Bjorn and Bjorn yeah. Borg, the uh, tennis player from Sweden, yeah. he's another famous Bjorn. So, and so I just want to tell you that people always say Bjorn. Well, that's how I would pronounce it. That's what you my might... my family always said Bjorn. So that's my I I'll you know whenever I had heard people go Bjorn Borg I was like ah, I think it's Bjorn Borg but whatever that's just my Scandinavian <laughs> family. So uh, I I was reading somewhere so when you're in high school there's a couple musicians maybe that are a little bit older than you that you kind of looked up to by the name of Dave Menachetti and Leonard Hayes is that correct? Yes it it was at Leonard Hayes. And I went to the same high school. He was a year older than me. And um, that's where I first got. Well, I knew Leonard actually since he was, tw we, we were 12 and 11. 
he had a little surf band called the Mustangs and his guitar player, Randy Hanners went to school with elementary school with me. And so I was introduced to that band back then. And then when I hooked up with Leonard in high school and he had, you know, was now like a John Bonham style, big badass drummer, you know, and he brought Dave Manichetti to school and jammed it after school one day. And I just was in awe of the, these guys just going, I can't believe how great Leonard sounds and this Dave Manichetti guy he brought. Wow. These guys are awesome. And so I went up to Dave and introduced myself and we became buddies right you know from that moment on i was like going hanging out at his house he lived three blocks from me so leonard lived two blocks from me and dave lived three blocks from me so so when you see like you know you know you're that young they're that young can you see that talent even then you oh know? i it, i i was i was 16 I guess 15 and a half, 16, when I first heard them play at, in the high school uh, cafeteria. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was blown away. I mean, I, I couldn't believe how good they were at 18 years old. I mean, mm -hmm. whatever. They were they were as good as bands I was went to see at Winterland in San Francisco. I mean, they were like humble pie. I mean, I, you know, okay, not mm -hmm. maybe they weren't that good, but they were on their way <laughs> to be that, you know. But you and could so, tell there was something different. They were special. Yeah. They had special talent um, that, and it, and it totally made me just want to go home and practice my guitar. You know, after seeing Dave play like that, I mean, even back then he was singing and playing, you know, better than anybody I knew, mm -hmm. you know, or had been experienced. So it was a big influence on me. If you so, if so, let's say, you know, it's Saturday night, you're, 15 years old what are what are some of your go-to records you got in your record collection back then what's some well, really stuff that influenced you when i was uh you know right around 15, 14 15 there was a, a a neighbor of mine who played guitar also and uh roger clisby he had a a let gold top les paul and he playing Eric Clapton licks in front of me, you know, one day when I was over at his house and I was like, what, that is what I want to learn. I, you know, and so he goes, I'll come over your house. And so he gave me a couple of lessons and got me on my way. And the two, he gave me two albums to study. Like he said, you should listen to this music. And he gave me the Who Live at Leeds and the Johnny Winter Blues, uh, Progressive Blues Experiment album. And so he was showing me a lot of blues licks because they're simple to play. And, and um, well, I don't mean simple, but I mean, it was more basic, uh, slower guitar bending notes. And he was just showing me how that, those blues patterns work and then listening to Johnny, Johnny Winter. And then, but the Who, live at Leeds, I don't know, he said, you, you should just, he tried to expose me to some really good rock music. I'd never heard the Who. And so I was blown away. I mean, when I heard Pete Towns on Live at Leeds, I said, that's what I want to do. I want to play guitar like that. I want to have big power chords and play really loud. <laughs> and so I was the biggest Who fan, and I still am to this day. I've always said, uh, you know, that, I mean, I have bands that I, that are, you know, that I like more, but I've always said Roger Daltrey, to me, was the perfect vocalist. Like, he's got the... 
I don't like singers that sing too clean, but so he's got that rasp in his voice, but it's right. not too much. He still can hit, you know, so he's like Robert Plant's just a little bit too clean for me where, you know, Daltrey's got a little bit of those razors in his voice. And um, so I've always been you know, a big Roger uh, Daltrey fan. What was your, you know, what was your first con- rock concert that you saw? First concert was uh, Steppenwolf and uh, at the Oakland Coliseum and Three Dog Night and the Grassroots and the Flaming Groovies were on the bill. <laughs> so Three Dog Night was fantastic, of course, and Steppenwolf was fantastic. It was in their heyday, so it was packed, you know, big 14,000 mm. people. So that was pretty, I was 12 years old. That was a pretty, and that was my first album that I got uh, by my brother for my birth. 12th birthday was born to be wild. Steppenwolf, there you go. (laughs) Now, was that the, was that the show that that Three Dog Night recorded their live album at? I don't know. There's a, I I think it was in, you know, uh, in, it was there in like 1970, maybe. Uh, But anyways, there was a, a live uh, Three Dog Night record there, and I want to say it was like there was a big bill with them with other bands, and they released that. But uh, so when you saw that, was there any again any rush like wow, that's what I want to do, or you know, did it lead to like okay, I want to see more concerts? How does that impact you know a twelve year old seeing Steppenwolf and Three Dog Night? Well, it, yeah, I mean, I I was impressed of course but at that time i wasn't really playing guitar i mean i had i think i had a guitar but mm-hmm. you know i was more interested in girls and motorcycles and at that point in my life you know <laughs> i wasn't but i liked music and i mean i didn't i was just starting my record collection i had a paper out and and i would uh take my paper out money and go buy albums but i still hadn't really gotten into you know, it took me a while to go see more concerts. So after Steppenwolf, I saw Creedence Clearwater revival at the same place, Oakland Coliseum, when I was about 14. And then when I got to be about 15, I still did drive. You know, I didn't get a car until I was like 17 and a half. So I, I wasn't, I was riding with buddies over to San Francisco to Winterland to see Humble Pie or The Who or whoever mm-hmm. was playing, you know. But uh, that was my concert. It was it wasn't until after like I saw yesterday Wyatt or they weren't called yesterday and today yet or Wyatt but Dave and Leonard play that I really started getting into music seriously and going to see shows and watching them develop their band basically. So you you mentioned earlier about Mile High and that being your brother's band. And eventually you joined and um, your brother yeah. left. Uh, so is that was that the first band that you really that really kind of I don't want to say took off, but you know really had a, a following and something stable that you could you know play clubs and uh, uh, theaters with? Yeah, that was uh, we were serious. You know, we we were together. Well. I guess I was right after high school. I turned 18 and it's like, I seemed like that's when the band started right as as I graduated. And we had my, so when I was still in high school, I was during my junior year in high school that my brother asked me to join his band and we played in Alameda 
at the Alameda Naval Air Station. He had a steady gig there every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And so I just got swept up into his band. I was playing four sets a night at 17 years old and making 125 bucks a week. I was, I, that was hooked. I go, that's mm -hmm. what I want to play. I just want to be a guitar player and playing bands, and, you know? So he got me going. And then when he left, we decided we wanted to play all original music and write our own songs and try to get a record deal. I mean, that's, that's what YMT yesterday and today did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Watch them do it. So we were following in their footsteps kind of to try to do that same thing. Did you ever have a backup plan? Like, you know, was mom and dad saying, listen, do this for three years. And if it don't work out, you know, go to medical school or was, did you know that this is what I want to do and I'm going to make it work? Was there ever that conflict, you know, starting out at a young age or were, you know, sometimes being young and dumb is a good thing. You just, you barrel <laughs> through it and you, you know, you follow your dreams. Well, that's exactly how it went. I, I followed my dream and my parents didn't like it. But I did always work. I mean, I got a job right out of high school, you know, just to make some money and pay, you know, pay my way or buy, buy my own gas or make, you know, and mm -hmm. moved out on my own. And I always worked a side job somewhere to be able to uh, follow my dream, let's say, you know, to play guitar. But I never, we practiced every night, mile high, for, I mean, not on weekends, maybe, but we'd go to work all day, we'd come home, go have dinner, go out to the studio, play till 11 o'clock writing songs practicing and we might only get a gig once every couple months you know playing here or there or opening up to somebody or it, i mean we worked very hard at it just like mm -hmm. all guys back then that i grew up with we all yt practice every day just like a job you know just just get in there and grind it out mm -hmm. and, and wait for the next gig and try to get a gig and you know but um yeah Good. i did that for four or five years with mile high did before my, yeah did mile high you know did it um did that band take off to a point where you guys had steady gigs throughout the bay area or did that lead to its demise not getting that far well what happened is is we yes we got to a point where we were playing after you know five years of four or five years doing it um we had a steady steady gigs going on we had steady club we played all the keystones uh we played mabue gardens we put on our own local shows at uh vets hall or weeks park or these little venues around hayward area and you know just did it our, all ourselves we just uh that's how what you did back then. That's how all the bands got shows. You either put on your own shows or got got into a nightclub and established yourself. And we were good. We were a decent band. So most of the time when we got into a club and played like the Keystones, they go, oh, you guys are great. We'll have you back. You know, so mm -hmm. we we did OK. But our drummer. He got to a point where he just I don't know, he just walked in one day, he says, I'm leaving the band. And we were kind of blown away because we we're doing pretty good. I'm mean, still at that point, you know, we we're, you know, we had already been picked up by Herbie Herbert, who is Journey's manager. And he put us on some shows with Journey. This is prior to Steve. What year are we talking about right here? Okay. What year are we talking about right here? Oh, 77. Okay. Yeah. So it was, you know, like, 
I guess uh, Journey had a couple albums out. Yeah, maybe yep. they had got to the third album. I'm not sure next, but right around that time, you know, we got um, a friend of ours introduced. Told Herbie, "You got to see this band, Mile High." And he came to our studio in Hayward and saw us, and he goes, "God, you guys are really good." I put you, I put you on some journey shows, and we were like, "This is great," you know. Um, so things were looking up, but then he walked it. He left. I mean, Steve Perry came in, and he goes, "I really got to focus on Journey right now because we're really trying to make this big turnaround to bring the band into being mm-hmm. what he, you know, being a little more commercial success, which worked out for them, of course." But he dropped. He didn't. He dropped this. I mean, he said, I can't work with you right now because I'm focused on them. But if you ever get anything going that you think is great or, you know, you guys are young, let me know. And so that's a couple of years down. I mean, our drummer left. I took over singing. He was the lead singer. I took over singing lead vocals and I, which I didn't really want to be the lead singer, but I mean, I just did it for a while. And then Eric Martin, I know we talked mm-hmm. about the Kid Courage connection, yeah. Mile High. Kid Courage played Mabue Gardens in San Francisco together. And I was introduced to Eric, seeing him sing. And he loved my band and I loved his voice. And I said, we should hook up. And we took a, maybe another year after that. But we, he called me up and said, hey, you want to, can I join Mile High? I said, absolutely perfect timing. <laughs> so after he joined, we made a, uh, we got together and we're writing songs and the band sounded really good. And um, we made a $50 demo of, on a, you know, and brought a cassette over to Herbie because I called him up, said, hey, I got something going. You got to hear what we got. And he said, bring it on over. And it's just like a dream come true. Calls me the next day and said, we love it. Not only do I love it, the whole journey love it. We were all in the office. We all listened to it. And and even Steve Perry wants to produce you. I was like, can you believe that happened in one day? How excited I was <laughs> to be like, how did that? That's like a dream come true when you're a musician that they go, we love it. And he goes, make another demo. And, and I said, no problem. And we had five, you know, we went back in before we even finished that five, second set of five songs. He, uh, he, he had already signed us <laughs> up. And so the way we were going with Herbie Herbert and that whole six-year stint to, that led up to the Eric Martin band album, you know. So Eric Martin joined Mile High. Yeah. Kind of. And then did you guys rename that 415? Yeah, Herbie. It was, you know, it was the 80s. And, he, you know, there was U2 and 707 and, I don't know. It's the modern. It was the modern era coming in. He goes, well, let's call it, let's call it area code four one five. You know, for it, so people would know who where we were from. And then it became code four one five, and then it just became four one five. And we were we played a lot of shows under that moniker, you know. And then um, we all the way up till our album was done. And then there was a a com- a four one five record company out of San Francisco. They kind of had punk rock bands and and they go, you can't use that name. We've already, they had yeah. copyrighted written it or yeah. something. I don't know. And they said, well, you can't use it because it's art. We're four and five records and you can't be four and five. The band is too confusing. So they got a lawyer. And so Herbie said, let's just change the name. And then, you know, Eric being the chief songwriter, main guy, and there was Brian Adams and Eddie Money and a lot of those things going on. And he says, let's just start, call it the Eric Martin Band. 
it'll be a band and we'll come up with a logo. And because we were kind of like, well, wait, this is a band. It's not all about Eric. But at the same time, what are we going to do? Yeah. That's your manager. He's saying, this is what we're going to do. Well, yeah. before, before we get into that change, all right. Okay. Um, I want, because I want to, now I want to go back and work right. uh, up to it with the Night Ranger angle. So you're okay. in the Bay Area. Um, did you know any of the members of Night Ranger before Rubicon? Well, I knew, I didn't know Brad Gillis like, like I didn't hang out with him. He would lived in Alameda and I was in Stanley, you know, I was a few towns over, but we had, I'd heard of him, you know, like back then it was like, oh, this is Hawk guitar player from Alameda, you know? And so, but I hadn't seen him really play. I just knew the name and knew who he was and knew that he was another badass guy like Dave Manichetti or something, you know, and in in, from his era area. And I don't think it, I think the first time I might've seen him play was with Rubicon in, in, uh, at the old Waldorf. So you saw, I can't remember it, you know, it's hard to, yeah. hard to remember all those gigs back then. Yeah. <laughs> but you did see Rubicon at the old Waldorf. Yes. What was, so what was that like? I mean, uh, cause, uh, you know, there here, you got this hot guitarist, but you also got like three horns in the band. Um, you know, and that's a little bit different than probably what mile high is doing. Uh, what Y and T is doing. Um, what did, when you saw that where you're like, Oh, that's cool. Or I don't know if that's going to work. What were your thoughts when you saw Rubicon? Do you remember anything like that? Well, being from Oakland and growing up with tower of power, uh, and also playing in the jazz band in high school with the big horn section, I'm a big horn lover, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's why I have horns on, on my first track on my album. Yes. <laughs> I, I wanted a real horn mm-hmm. section. So anyway, um, I was excited. I mean, I, I like that style of music. I had their album, but the only thing I remember was how my, I was just fixed on Jack Blades and Brad Gillis, the whole show. I don't even remember the other guys in the band because they were so good and fun to watch and talented. And, and uh, Jack Blades was like, you know, he was so different than then in his because he was doing slap in his yeah, face. like almost like Larry Graham and stuff yeah. like that. And so it was so I was like, God, that guy's badass. And then when Night Ranger came out, and then he's just lead singing, and now he's just playing with a pick or whatever. I'm like, wow, he's totally turned yeah. into a different character, you know. Yeah, they're the better. we're lucky that there is a clip of them from Cow Jam 2. And they kind of do this little breakdown and um, they got Jack doing that, you know, funky slap bass and stuff. So we're lucky that there is a little bit of footage out there. But uh, yeah, it's weird because he's not like the lead singer on those records. I think he maybe sings one track on each record, but definitely a whole different playing style. Had the the big glasses back then. and Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, so um, do you remember anything like, so, you know, you guys got 415, you're getting that going. Do you remember anything around the same time of Ranger 
you know, well, I guess it went from stereo to, you know, Ranger. And then they, they kind of had an issue too, where right before they released their record, they see that there's a, a country group in Kentucky called the Rangers. So then that's wow. where they add the night in there after one of their songs. Um, yeah. Were you, were you aware of anything that they were doing uh, leading up to their first release um, at the time? Yes. Um, four and five opened up shows to Ranger. Um, I think it was at the Mystic Theater in Petaluma or the Phoenix Theater, one of those two th theaters. I and more than once maybe we played together. And so we kind of, you know, bonded, you know, our mm -hmm. two bands. You know, we're like, they dug us, we dug them. And we were like, cool, you know, they because they they knew who we were because we we're you know managed by journeys management and and they were managed by bruce uh bruce Cone? brothers manager yes yes yeah. he had managed to be brothers yeah at that time and so they had it going on we had it going on and you know i, I would see jack blades you know at concerts and go hey dude man how's it going and you know did you get a record deal yet and i go yeah and, you know okay we got the same lawyer as you and you know he would, <laughs> they, you know we would we were both he was just such a cheerleader for what we were doing and and we and us for them you know yeah. both our records came out at around the same time and uh we had a song that i wrote called private life that that uh the chorus went don't tell me that you won't love me or something like that and i was like no way and then there's then they come up with don't tell me you love me and not that it it mm. didn't matter i mean but yeah. i was like okay well we can't release that song because <laughs> they already <laughs> did it and so anyway our sucker for a pretty face song comes out and it's on the radio around the same time as their song and they just shot to the top they just and we just went the opposite way <laughs> so it was kind of a bummer because i thought that we both were a good band we but we had mm -hmm. a chance too you know we had great we had a my eric martin band was a good that was a good album sucker for a pretty face i thought we did yeah, let's go back to where we left off. So you're in okay. this you're in this band, and you know you're all you know it's four one five. You're striving to make it. You get a record deal. You're recording. This is your big break. Four one five. How does it feel when they go, "Hey, uh, we're going to name it. We're going to change the name and call it the Eric Martin Band and put the focus on him." Where he's on the cover does does that mentally you know impact you you know like uh or is it just like is it still you know internally still one team what are your thoughts you know with when that happened well you know we had already we were like six years in at that point maybe you know five years in whatever and i we were so close we lived together the whole the whole band we had a band house and we lived together the whole time working together living together we were we were like brothers so it was kind of one for all all for one kind of attitude anyway so people around us were more offended about like thought it was oh that's not fair you know john you it's your band mile high was your you know what i mean mm -hmm. keep doing your band i go hey that doesn't matter i go the the whole thing is is we just got to get this record out and go go with it you know because it is what it is i mean herbie wanted to make this change and 
you know, he explained, he goes, well, you know, what happens if some of you guys want to leave the band? At least I got it's Eric's, Eric's the main, you know, character. I don't know. You know, yeah. I was like, whatever you want to do at this point, I just want it out. So yeah, it was, a, it irked me a little bit for like 30 seconds. <laughs> and then I went, oh, let's just move on. But people around me were more offended than I, than the band was. Is there like a sigh of relief or, you know, a feeling of accomplishment when you've worked that hard and then the next thing you know, you're on MTV and you're on American Bandstand and you, or you could walk into a record store and, and go, hey, that right there, that's the record I'm on. Uh, how, what's the feeling that you go through when you finally hit what, you know, you perceive as the top of the mountain? Well, it's, there's, it's a great feeling. I mean, just that, like any, every band you've ever heard of, that's even famous that, oh man, the first time we heard ourselves on the radio, it was, have you ever seen that, that thing you do? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know how that was that excitement? Yeah. It was like that. We're like, dude, we're on the radio. <laughs> where were, like, where were you? Do you remember where you first? Oh, I, I was probably in Nevada, California, where we lived at that mm -hmm. time. And, uh, I don't know uh, if you actually remember the very first time or. You know what? Um, I, yeah, I, I can't be for sure if we were, you know, if it was on the car radio, mm -hmm. I'm sure it was. I'm sure we had a, a station band station wagon. When Chris <laughs> it was probably in that, you know, I know I was in a car listening to it. I just remember that driving around. So who, or someone else's car or whatever, but it was, uh, and, and I just never forget that I was hearing Night Ranger's song being played too. Mm. Both, and they were playing our song quite a bit because we're a local band and we were on the radio a lot. But at that time, there was no knowing what was going to happen as far as record sales. It mm. was just, we were on the radio. And I was just looking forward that we got into the second single, you know, mm. past that, which we never did. Don't Stop was supposed to be the song, which I wish we got into that because that was a good rocker a good you know kind of acdc kind of punchy so um, so the album's released you know you got this momentum going uh you got some you know you've got airplay uh you know major release when what was the uh and you're like i said you're you're on you guys are touring for this when was like the first uh-oh moment like that is, that's not how it went was it the the second single not taken off where did the first kind of little hiccup uh hit with you guys well it wasn't a little hiccup <laughs> it was <laughs> big it was a major hiccup but so what happened was is everything was going along great the record was selling uh decently you know, I mean, it's it just been out for a few months, you know, but it was doing really well in Japan. Um, it was well on its way to doing, I mean, for a first release, it was, we had sold 10,000 copies and they were like, that's really good. I mean, for Japan, to just all of a sudden sell 10,000 copies. So, you know, we thought that doesn't sound like much at all in the world of million platinum selling records. But they said, no, that's a great start uh, for a foreign country. And then, Anyway, we, uh, the Bammies, you know, of that, right? Mm -hmm. The Bammies uh, yep. Award, uh, Bay Area Music Awards. We ended up getting uh, 
best debut album for Sucker for a Pretty Face for 1984 and best club band for 1984. So we went two Bammies. We're on High as a Kite. We're on MTV. I think we had already played on American Bandstand by then with Dick Clark, which was just amazing, you know, to be a brand new band with just came out and don't have a single or don't have a hit. You don't play that show unless you have a hit song. But Herbie Herbert guaranteed Dick, Dick Clark that we were on our way. Mm. You know, we were at 16 Magazine for a whole year, every every issue. And they were building us up. I mean, we had a lot of push because of her journey and Herbie. Mm. But um, right after that, uh, the Bammy thing, we get a phone call that we get called into the office with Herbie. And he's pretty much thrown in the towel. We'd lost our record deal. The record company had dropped us by then. And it, there's a whole nother story that goes with that that I don't know if we need to get into, but it didn't have anything to do with us. It was just politics behind Herbie and, and, and that whole thing with people in the business. And they uh, dropped us, basically. And Motley Crue was on the same label as us. And, and they were pushing tattooed rock band you know you know mm -hmm. molly Cruz, tattooed guys that look like girls yeah you know and we were nothing like that <laughs> and so they were like you guys don't have any image you know um we don't have hear any hits we got some john kolodner to come out and look at us we had other people come out and look at us they go yeah it's a really good band and we see they got got a good fan base but we don't hear any hits so we're passing so after that happened herbie dropped us and I ended up in Y&T a couple of weeks later. But well, so when that when <laughs> that's that, another story. When that happens, so you know you you're working this whole you know this for years, Mile High, Four One Five, Eric Martin Band, and you know at your your whole life into it, and then all of a sudden, no record deal, no management. Is there a time where you're like, I mean, how does that, you know? mentally you know does that just you know bust you down or you know are you young enough where you just dust it off and like okay you know i'm going on to the next thing how does that i mean to me it's just like god you, you work the climb all the way up to that top of that mountain and then just someone pushes you down how does that impact you know what are you going through personally when you get told just all this well I, yeah quite honestly I mean, I was, I felt just hollow. I mean, I just felt like I'd been gutted going because I was riding such a high, hanging out with the journey, playing shows with hollow notes. And uh, I, I mean, I, you know, I can't even, ZZ Top, I don't know, just all, we were playing uh, Joe Walls, we were playing the Oakland Coliseum, we we're playing a day on the green. We're playing every venue, Cal Palace, every venue in the Bay Area, Conquer Pavilion, opening it up to all major acts and as four and five mostly. I mean, but, you know, before the album came out and just right opening up the journey on the escape tour. I mean, with Billy Squire and Hall and Oates, Mountain Air Festival, I we were high as a kite, loving it. OK, so you can imagine the feeling when it just gets pulled, the rug gets pulled out from under you and you're going, 
oh man, I thought we were going to make it. <laughs> I, mean, I really thought, because we were, I'm not bragging about, I thought we were a great band and I thought Eric Martin had one of the best voices out there. So I figured, how can we lose, you know? And we had good songs, but that doesn't really, we didn't have good enough songs. I mean, that's basically what it comes down to. If you don't have the, the song, you know, it's hard to, yeah. anyway, that's another story. But, yeah. but anyway, yeah, I felt, I felt really down. All of us were, you know, just down and we were going like, and, her, and Eric, anyway, so when the last show we played at Wolfgang's in San Francisco is our farewell show, last, band's breaking up, it's our last show. And Herbie came up to me and said, on a side note, you know, away from the other guys, he goes, we want to keep you, John, with Eric. So, uh, you know, that you we want to keep you two together and keep moving the band and, and keep going with you guys and try to get another record deal do going a different direction and i was so upset at that point about what went down and just the whole thing and the music business and hadn't made a penny you know still starving and i'd already been approached by i think it's that ynt had come up to me i mean i i went and saw ynt play and they said, dude, I'm so sorry your band's breaking up, but if you, you want to come on the road with us, we could sure use you to be a, a, a side guy, you know, play mm -hmm. keyboards and sing. And, and of course, I love Manichetti. And I said, absolutely. So when Herbie said that to me, I said, you know what? I already got a gig. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to stay with this whole, this thing again, because it probably is not going to go anywhere. And then you're going to drop us. Any you know what I mean? I was yeah. had a bad taste in my mouth at that point. But um, it's so funny because then I joined YNT as, am I moving too fast for you? No, 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 okay. you're fine. So I get get caught, you know, YNT is going on the tour with their album uh, In Rock We Trust, one of their, I think one of their best albums. And we're going on tour with Twisted Sister and Motley Crue and Hart and Aerosmith and all these bands for, you know, over the next couple of years uh, opening up. And I'm singing background vocals and riding on the tour bus, living the life, having a good time, getting paid. <laughs> you know, so I I was enjoying that. And then I get a call from Eric Martin and says, hey, check it out. I'm going on tour with Tina Turner. I got an album out on Capitol. I mean, you know, I knew he had an yeah. album out and I need a band and I want you to be the guitar player. And, you know, Tina Turner was huge at that time. I mean, she was like, one of the biggest acts, you know, selling out Coliseums. And, and so I went to the YNT guys and said, Hey, I got this offer to play guitar and go on this big tour with Tina Turner with Eric Martin opening up. And, and they go, go ahead, man. Your gig's always here. You can come back anytime you want. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, go have fun. So I practiced up for it and was all ready to leave on tour with Eric and the Tina Turner canceled their tour. <laughs> so, that was the one moment that I almost went back with Eric Martin at that point, you know, but seems like there's always, you know, <laughs> like, um, you know, with everyone I talk to, there's always like that story of like, where it's like the carrots dangled and you're yeah. always about ready to grab it and then something happens. Um, so with, when you're with Y and T, you know, throughout the mid eighties, um, you know, is there ever like, yeah, you know, where you, you and Night Ranger, 
both coming up at the same time. You know, you you got the same roots. You played the same clubs. Uh, you know, you're both starting from the same spot. And then you see them, like you say, just take off. And you see four, you know, Eric Martin band demise. Does that ever get to you too? It's like, you know, like that could have been us. Why, you know, wasn't, you know, does that ever play into to anything when you see these other bands that you started with and they just take off and yours don't um you know does that just ever you know just linger in in your head or is it something you just push aside and just move on yeah i don't i never really i was happy i'm happy for anybody who makes it you know or mm-hmm. you know gets gets popular and it works you know it's it's great you know i i don't ever think like oh well we were just not good enough i don't think it, it's not that but it really does it comes down to well the timing of everything but you know i mean look at night ranger They're fantastic band fantastic players great people really good songwriters they had everything going for them and they deserve what they got you know i mean they deserve to take off you know i mean yt story they were a great band too they just never had the big million seller you know yeah. they everybody respects them in the business everyone thinks they they should have been one of the band that took off and and made it and sold big numbers like the night ranger but it doesn't always happen it just yeah. doesn't and we you know that after being in the music business long enough to not get, don't count your chickens before they ask kind of attitude. Because even when you think you have the goods, you might not, you know. Because because Motley Crue's coming along and yeah. changing the whole ball game, you know. Just when you thought it was all about being like Journey and Night Ranger and Loverboy, they change it, turn it all on its head and start mm-hmm. write songs, shout at the devil. okay what the heck's that all about you know and it worked you know (laughs) and definitely like timing i mean if eric if that eric martin band record had been released let's just say two years earlier yeah you know that's a whole different musical climate than exactly what you said so uh you know sometimes it's not just all the talent the songs it's you could have the talent and you could have the songs but then you get mixed up with okay bam here's like like they said the tattooed rock stars and what twisted sisters getting real big at that time and um and it definitely just throws uh um things uh for a loop do you uh did y&t and night ranger when you were with y&t in the mid 80s did did you guys ever share a bill together i don't i don't think so i don't remember um the only thing I can think of. Toured, no, the Night Ranger, they were, well, I, I take that back. We did share a bill together. It was a special show, um, not to get on sidetrack, but there was a, a, a song that's on my album called Fly Angel Fly. Was written for this uh, photographer. He's the guy that introduced Herbie Herbert to Mile High back in the day. He was a rock and roll photographer called Randy Bachman from the Bay Area in the 70s. And he um, got hit by a car taking a photograph in San Francisco. And I ended up, they asked if I would sing at his funeral. And I wrote him the song. And then, anyway, it, 
we ended, we ended up playing a show at the what's it called um oh gosh uh it's in san francisco right on the strip market street like the main uh not you, you talking like the like a, a venue yeah big theater um, uh mystic uh no in san francisco right san francisco. In san francisco. Uh, what's it uh oh i'm not a waldorf not wolfgangs but i unfortunately oh gosh i can't i'm sorry i just can't remember <laughs> it's a i'll come to me but uh we with so sammy hager night ranger eddie money yt eric martin van or eric martin me i so i played with yeah. yt i played with eric martin um night and, and so that was one bill we all shared together and so yt and night ranger was on the same bill that night right. um, and, and i know that that photographer because i i don't own the book but someone put a book out of yeah that, all that, his month, of all his stuff uh, photo yes um and i was reading an article or something about it so um i i know the name and the name you know a little bit about the book um it's interesting how that ties into um the track that we're um eventually going to get here get to so how does uh how does um how does grunge impact your musical career um a lot of these bands are kind of what you kind of goes back to how you were talking about the eric martin band where you know you're doing you know all these big shows and um living the dream living the life and all of a sudden overnight for some of these bands it's gone where were you at in your career and how did, did grunge impact it at all like with what you were doing in the early 90s well by the that time that the early 90s came i was doing my own thing with a resurgence of what 415 band i me and mark ross the original guitar player from mile high and i uh, got together and formed a new version of 415 with um and with some other players and we played some some of the tracks that him and i wrote so we were able to, you know, play Canocti Harbor Resort and open it up to Ario Speedwagon and Doobie Brothers or, you know, whatever was going on in the 90s while grunge was coming in. And all those bands were kind of just, I mean, they had Ario Speedwagon, sure, they had a big enough name to go out and still play. Um, and Doobie Brothers too, but it wasn't like what they're even doing now by any means. Yeah. I mean, they were just kind of, there and they had their fan base that was dwindling from the 80s and grunge was taken over and yt that i was in yt up to like 1989 and then i left because it was already starting to slow down anyway and i was playing guitar in the great kin band at that point okay so um which he was just hanging on to by a thread you know playing some shows but that's all we could do that's all that was left to to do that's <laughs> whatever we could uh whatever 80s fans were still hanging and mm -hmm. coming to see our shows on a smaller level and then um so i kind of stopped playing guitar at some point you know i mean by the time the mid 90s came 
I was, I don't hardly even picked up my guitar. It was kind of a, a weird period for me. I just, I thought my music career is over. I had a job and um, making money. So I just was like, yeah, whatever. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm in my forties now. So my life's over, rock and roll career's over. Mm -hmm. I'm too old to be in this business. And so it was funny how you think, you know, that at that point, and that's how I was feeling. And I was okay with it. I thought I, I had my fun. I mean, yeah. I played, and I still played guitar, but, and I was still writing songs here and there and just cat, putting them just to the side, not knowing what I'm ever going to do with them. But um, some of them ended up on my solo album. <laughs> that i wrote in the 90s <laughs> but, these, um, see these are like this is like the stuff i like like because your story reminds me a lot of david lauser when we had him on and yeah. um drummer for sammy hagar so he gets this big break with sammy and you know the early 80s for five years they're just all over mtv touring the world and then sammy joins van halen and it stops and uh, I think through like his brother-in-law or something, he basically starts, he's electrician. So, you know, just right after that, he's an electrician and people would, you know, they would, you know, have the radio boom box and they would hear Sammy Hagar, like, that's really you. He's like, yeah. And, <laughs> uh, and, but he was like, you know, he made that decision of, you know, and he's making good money. He's an electrician. And he's a little bit younger, though. The, you know, you, you know this. You know, he was he wasn't in quite his forties. I think he probably would have been probably early thirties at this point. And uh, he had to make the decision, like with his wife, like I gotta quit. I gotta somehow get back into the music business because if I, I'm comfortable. You know, I'm making good money. I'm comfortable. If I don't get out, I'm never going to get out. I got to do it now. So he had, he quit and struggled for a few more years and um eventually found other work but um you know it's it kind of mirrors what you said you just you hit this point and you you still played and wrote your songs and everything where does where does the the guitar kind of kick back in in your life and that you know drives your career again what kicked that off I'll, I'll tell you that in just a second. I'm just because of what you're saying about Lazar and, and what happened with him when Sammy Hager joined Van Halen. Mm -hmm. That was a change of that. The thing that happened in my life, it was kind of interesting too. like what happened with him going off to be an electrician. When Sammy Hager joined Van Halen and the whole band lost their job, Bill Church, the bass player, and I started as a band on the side. I was in YMT as a background singer, but we had a side band with the guy, Bob Banks in, in San Francisco, who was in a band called LaRue, used to play Mabue Gardens. Anyway, we started this side band, Kevin Carlson from Aldenova, Leonard Hayes on drums, and Bill Church and bass. And anyway, we played a couple of shows and we did some recording, but the main thing out of that is that Bill Church came to rehearsal one day and said, asked me if I wanted to help him build a greenhouse because he needed to make some money and uh a buddy of his had this company that and um offered him said one if you need pay you know he had a mortgage he had a family yep. he needed to make money right just like lousy so 
he cut, you know, he said, Hey, John, would you help me? And I said, I don't know anything about construction. I'm, you know, just guitar player. He goes, yeah, me neither, but I just need to try. So we went out and we ended up at all places. We we're building a greenhouse for, um, an orchid flower shop in Mill Valley, which is just down the hill from Sammy Hager's house. <laughs> so Sammy Hager comes to our job in a, in his, in a, white cobra he just bought in hayward california of all places for fifty-five thousand dollars. i remember the story he comes driving up he goes dude i just got this for fifty-five thousand dollars for some of my van halen money is 20 million dollars you got join van halen and he took bill out in the in the car took him for a ride at lunch gave him came back gave him a, some a check a severance pay for thanks for all the years you know whatever and so it was funny to have sammy come up and see you know this greenhouse thing <laughs> and this is so this is 1980 was it six around there, yeah 85 yeah. 86 86 and so bill and i we built a couple more greenhouses and then he he quit he goes this is too much work and i was younger you know and i was like oh, you know what I, i'm learning something so i got this other side gig when i'm not doing wine tea shows so i'm still building greenhouse greenhouses to this day because <laughs> I, I mean, I wasn't for a while, but medical marijuana has become the biggest rage in the whole United yeah. States. And you know that. And that's what they need is greenhouses. And I'm the greenhouse expert now. So I'm, I'm, I'm making so much money now building greenhouses. Whenever I'm not with YT, it's just funny. It's like I, now. So I finally made it in something. So it all, <laughs> it all goes back to Bill Church. It all goes back to Bill Church. And I thank Bill Church over and over. He goes, oh, yeah, whatever. I go, dude, you don't know what a change you made in my life monetarily. All these years, I've been become this expert for this company, the same company that we started with. I'm still with them 35 years later. And now I'm their main guy. You know, I'm a, a, I'm not a consultant. Yeah. You know, I just go out and teach the crews how to do it. But anyway, I just want to tell you that real quick. That's awesome. Note. And so... It, I, so I always go, God, thank God that Sammy Hager joined Van Halen. <laughs> so I uh, got a real job. So, so anyway, another sideline that with Sammy Hager that I was going to tell you about, um, and we were talking about uh, Gary Peel and yeah. Night Range Connection, yep. is that before I started doing that construction, I uh, I was living with a buddy and. I got into, I needed to make some money. And so I ended up working, doing some construction on somewhere up in Marin County. And like after a couple of weeks of work and he goes, okay, guys, our next job is we're going to Sammy Hager's house. And I was just cracking up. I was just going, I can't believe I'm going to, you know, two, two weeks working for this guy doing just pounding nails or whatever <laughs> I'm doing. And now we go up to Sammy Hager's house. And I, I, the very first day I'm on the job, you know, I said, you know, he's remodeling his whole house. I mean, he's just the whole full rich, full scale remodel. Guys have been on the job for a year or something. And I come in there, just low man on the totem pole, sitting there at lunch. And Gary Peel comes walking up the driveway. He has a basket of wine or something he's bringing to Sammy. And he, and he looks over and he sees me and he goes, what are you doing? Hey, John, what are you doing here? And I go, I'm oh, just working, you know, on Sammy's out working here. I got, you know, this job. He goes, I'll tell Sammy you're out here. <laughs> and so the guys, you know, I'm working for, they all turn around, and look at me, and they're like, who the hell are you? <laughs> These guys don't even talk to us. 
And I go, well, I know him. I'm a musician. You know, they know me. And so anyway, Sammy Hager comes out of the house. Uh, this is after lunch. Climbs up the ladder, comes onto the roof. I'm up there like pulling nails out of a board or something. You know, just like grunt work. And he goes, hey, John, Gary told me you're out here. How cool that you, that you ended up you're working on my house or, you know, whatever. And I go, hey, you know, whatever. And so all the guys are like, I can't believe that Sammy Hager just came out here and talked to you. You know, it's like, you're just like, who? I go, I'm a, I'm a musician. He knows who I am. So it was just a funny side note. I thought yeah, you, you, I, you, I do. I love those stories. So anyway, back to the Fly Angel Fly thing. I know we're going to get to that, but mm -hmm. the song that yeah. all these people sang on and played for my friend that passed away. So that concert that I got said Night Ranger and YNC played together on this came after that point. This is like 1988 when this happened. This okay. is 86 or whenever I was, Sammy was on the roof with me. So I was only at his house that one day working, you know, and then we got, I sent, was sent to another job and, you know, whatever happened. But here we are a couple of years later, we played this show for Randy. And that, by the way, that money, we raised $30,000 that night. And that's the money that we put out, put that book out with. All that money went to to finance that whole book, and um, so I'm backstage where that they all decide the very fit last song of the night should be the song "Flying to Fly" that I wrote for 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 uh, Randy, and so everybody got together around me and I showed them real quick how it went, and I go, "Well, I need a I don't I need an acoustic guitar. I mean, I need a a guitar to play," and so. Sammy Hager had one and they said, Hey, Sammy, you mind if John uses your guitar to play this last song uh, for at the end of the night? And he goes, Oh, absolutely. The dude built my house. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Part one of the interview with John Nyman from YNT. Uh, part two is even better. We're going to release that in two weeks. Next week, we'll do whatever we call it, Night Ranger News Notes and Minutia. We got Night Ranger playing, uh, um, you know, over the weekend and everything. And so there'll be a lot of new stuff coming up. So there you go. I will also have a link to where you can get this record. There we go. Support some mu new music um Damn you know, everybody, everybody talks about uh wishing there was new good music and here it is um you just have to listen to us we'll, we'll steer you towards it correct so i don't think i got a uh, card but uh if you're out there in youtube land or spotify land wherever you're at yeah uh find us on facebook just fans of motion night ranger you'll find us also track us down on the instagram and twitter uh, always putting different stuff on different pages. Uh, what else we got? We got Spotify and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, all Pandora. the podcatchers, Pandora, Amazon, uh, Amazon, Apple Podcasts. Um, yeah. 
if you are listening to this on youtube subscribe subscribe to everything and anything uh um except uh to my ex-girlfriend she has issues but don't subscribe to it don't they all all right so try the veal i'm here all week all right all right so there you go uh first part of john nyman so after this go order the record crank it up crank some y&t up and we will talk to you uh next week bye later it's just tonight for us to share will be my love